The following podcast contains explicit language. Last night, I congratulated Donald Trump and offered to work with him on behalf of our country. She congratulated us. It's about us. This loss hurts. But please, never stop believing that fighting for what's right is worth it. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who says it's very unfair that people are protesting his election, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. That was in a tweet he sent last night. It was an amazing reaffirmation of his hostility to the First Amendment. Trump denouncing public demonstrations as somehow illegitimate because of incitement by the media. This is how a dictator thinks. This is how a dictator reacts. Please do not be surprised when Trump acts on these instincts. There was a great letter today from Anthony Romero, the director of the ACLU, that was published as a full-page ad in the New York Times. It summarizes some of Trump's worst proposals, to amass a force to deport 11 million people, to ban Muslims, to ban abortion, to bring back waterboarding and other forms of torture. And then Romero writes, these proposals are not simply un-American and wrong-headed. They are unlawful and unconstitutional. They violate the 1st, 4th, 5th, 8th, and 14th Amendments. If you do not reverse course and instead endeavor to make these campaign promises a reality, you will have to contend with the full firepower of the ACLU at every step. Our staff of litigators and activists in every state, thousands of volunteers, and millions of card-carrying members and supporters are ready to fight against any encroachment on our cherished freedoms and rights. You know, there's another question that a lot of us have been dealing with all week, which is what do we tell our children about Trump's victory? How do we explain this assault on our values? How do we explain this kind of victory for misogyny and racism? No one's dealing with this more than school teachers. And today I talked to a teacher about how her school and her students have been dealing with Donald Trump's victory. Here are just some of the questions her students had for her. Why did so many white people vote for him? Is slavery coming back? Uh, Does this mean we have to go back to Africa? We'll be back to hear more from her after a quick break. My guest today is Kate Gaskell. She teaches 10th grade history at Eastern Senior High School in Washington, D.C. Kate, thanks for joining me in the studio today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Today's a day off at Washington schools. Yes, it is. We're celebrating the Veterans Day holiday. Yeah. So, and I'm sure you could all use it after the week you've had. It's it's been a it's been a short week and yet a very emotionally long one. Definitely. First, just tell me a little bit about your school. What's what's the Eastern High School like? It's mostly African American. Yes. Right? Yeah. We're we're about 98 percent African American. We're really one of the historic high schools in. D.C. Public School. We're actually the second largest comprehensive school, which means neighborhood high school, in other words. So we're not a magnet school. We're not an application school. Um, We've got an incredibly vibrant student body. While we might not be the most diverse racially, we're diverse in so many other ways. Our kids are. Uh, We have an international baccalaureate program. Uh, We uh, have a wide array of AP classes, and um, we're just – we're really proud of our kids and always really excited to see what they do. So 10th graders, they're 15-year-old kids. What happened when they came into school on Wednesday? There were – I felt that there was more questions than anything. And I think like the rest of the country, the kids were in disbelief because for months and months, there's been a lot of Trump anxiety amongst my students, and I've been answering questions for a long time. But I think it was always 
you know, we as teachers would answer the questions and there was always this, but don't worry, guys, it won't really happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Certainly and, what I was telling my kids. Yeah, and yeah. there was a lot of shock when yeah. we met them in the halls on on Wednesday morning. And of course, you know, we're adults and we have feelings ourselves. So we're coming at this at, with very little sleep and kind of a head full of our own uh, fears. Yeah. Uh, it's, and so it was... It was definitely one of the most unique days of teaching I've ever had. What did they? What did your kids ask you? Well, what I wanted to do is, like the workplace, like your family dinner yeah. table. Uh, it seems so often that extroverted students dominate the classroom conversation. So I really wanted to give even my more um, my more introverted students. I wanted to give them also a chance to contribute and ask questions. So I set up um, what we call a chalk talk. Yeah, and the teachers listening will know exactly what I'm talking about. But I set up large pieces of paper. And on the board with or all around my classroom with questions and yeah. the questions were things like, uh, what questions do you have about last night's election? What questions do you have about how um, any American president in any election is elected? What questions do you have about Donald Trump and his family? Uh, what concerns or fears do you have? Uh, and then what comments uh, do you have about the election, Donald Trump or American politics? And I gave the students a stack of post-it notes. And told them, you're fine to converse as you go along uh, the classroom and leave your comments and questions, but I want you to really focus on getting them out on the paper. Uh, and that way, everybody had a chance to contribute. And then I, f- I felt that the most structured way to do that was just take the questions, uh, the post-its that I was seeing most frequently and um, and try to both answer questions myself and uh, just lead conversation yeah. about some of those. So what questions really struck you? I felt that my job that day was, and I'm a world history teacher, um, uh, and these kids haven't had government class yet. They take right. that as 12th graders in D.C. public schools. So I felt that half my job was kind of being a civics teacher. Yeah. And uh, half my job um, was being a reassuring presence and honestly speaking very openly as a white American yeah. to my black students. Um, so questions that – kind of fit into that leading a conversation about civics and just the the how-tos of American government um, were questions like, nobody said he was going to win. How did this happen? Right. Or uh, how is it that more people vote? I heard more people voted for Hillary, but he's still the president. Like, that's rigged. Um, so kind of addressing things with the 270to-win.com, um, uh, 270 showing yeah. them on the map how the Electoral College works. And then there were just... Some more heartbreaking questions, things like, is slavery coming back? Uh, a question about, uh, do we, does this mean we have to go back to Africa? There were just kind of conversations about, well, I don't, first of all, I don't believe Donald Trump wants to bring back slavery. No. Um, and let's talk about the Constitution, guys. Let's talk about the 13th Amendment. Let's talk about how hard it is to change the Constitution, even if someone wanted to do that. Um, there were just other questions a lot of questions about war or D.C. being bombed. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, these students go to school 17 blocks from the Capitol. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, there were also just, I think, questions that we all have about what does this mean for healthcare. Uh, a lot of students had questions about that. A few questions had – a few students, rather, had questions about specific policies like food stamps or abortion. What could this mean? And then 
there were there were questions about race absolutely yeah uh, like how is it like um why did so many white people vote for him uh, why are white people why are white people racist that, that question puts, came up that puts you in a pretty interesting position i mean did they think you might be a trump supporter because you're a white teacher i this year and my 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 colleagues who are white we talked a lot about this this year we felt Ever since Donald Trump entered the conversation, we felt more of a responsibility to be more open about our politics than we would have otherwise had this been any other Republican running. When when the nominee for a major party says things like, well, when he's endorsed by the KKK and we have to have conversations about white nationalist groups and when he mocks a, a reporter who has a disability and when he says things about Muslims not being allowed in our country or you know, making gross generalizations about immigrants, like, yeah, I feel like my white colleagues and I, we had to say, we almost had to make the personal more public and just say, uh, we need to put this front and center right here. I am not voting for Donald Trump. Yeah. And I think what he has done is awful. I think the things he says are absolutely inexcusable. But how did you handle it? I mean, you're still the representative of white people who's in front of them every day. What, mm -hmm. do, you, what do you say about what white people think, why white people did this, to, mm -hmm. be, to be blunt about it? I think that it reminds me, it reminded me a little bit of talking about Trayvon Martin, the times that I've talked about Trayvon Martin in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my black students are, you know, they grew up with white people. They might have, they might have white family members. Um, but some of my, some of my black students don't. And some of my black students, there's, you know, they've experienced racism and it's been very hurtful uh, directly. And I think it's, I made a point to say, you know, over and over again, like, I believe George Zimmerman should have gone to jail. Yeah. And when you can directly say things, I feel that the students, they really do understand sometimes maybe uh, more than all of us that that race isn't a monolith and that uh, there can be differences between between white people. Um, but it was a it was a hard conversation. And I'm. I used my own hurt. I'm from I'm from a state that did vote for Trump. I have family members that did vote for Trump. Where are you Where are you from? I grew up in Iowa, very uh -huh. rural Iowa. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I told them about how angry I was. I told them that yeah. I knew I knew Trump voters and um, that it's very likely that had I not left, had I not gotten my education, had I just married my high school sweetheart, it's very possible that would have been me, too. And I told them about how. I'm I'm very angry. I'm very angry. And I want to go home to my hometown and I want to scream and shout and I want to insult. But I have to look at people I admire about what to do with my hurt and my anger right now. Yeah. Um, so honestly, I think these conversations, although they're really hard to have, are really, really important and they're really necessary. Like white teachers, we can't ignore that. We can't ignore the fact that our students are really confused. Uh, and hurt by statements like "Make America Great Again" or "Take Our Country Back," and we have a we have a very unique opportunity to be as honest as we can. My daughter is in high school at a private school in New York, and she had a couple of her friends over Wednesday night. And they said, in all their schools, there was a school assembly. Everyone got together, and basically, they didn't have classes either. They were called off, or they sat in class and watched. CNN. I mean, mm -hmm. was there any kind of uh, school school assembly at, at Eastern? Yeah, we're a pretty large school, so it's very rare that we gather as a whole. 
uh, all four grade levels. But as as luck would have it, we had um, a, an assembly scheduled to celebrate our students of the month and to go over our first quarter uh, academic data. And it was it was a very good time for that assembly to fall. So we did. We gathered as a grade. Um, our tenth graders did, and our assistant principal who is an African-American man and our uh, grade level counselor who is really in, you know, really wants these kids to be going to college and really wants these kids to, um, to advocate for their own education and their own needs. Uh, they spoke and it was powerful and empowering um, in terms of classes. All my classes were discussing the election that day. Right. That, that's what we did. We're studying World War One right now. And yeah. we, we hit the pause button on that. It's time to recognize, even in a world history classroom, we do need to talk about our own country, uh, and we do need to uh, acknowledge the history that we're living in right now. Yeah, but everyone came to school. I mean, I heard about schools in California where the students basically went on strike for the day, you know, to kind of have some kind of protest. We were there. Yeah. We were there. Yeah. Um, and the students, if anything, I felt that I had, I had more engagement, and uh, the students were listening to each other more i feel like they they're very curious about the world they live in and they want they want to be making sense of this yeah with are there um undocumented immigrants at your school we've heard a lot about schools where there are mm-hmm. uh, kids with with uncertain immigration status and the fears kids have that their friends are going to be deported and of course the the fears that people the kids may have themselves that they're going to be sent away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i like I said, our school is mostly African American. We do have a small percentage, though, of of undocumented immigrants. Yes, yeah. um, I was actually really proud of, although that I didn't I didn't have any conversations with students who were undocumented that day. Um, I was really proud of our students who were born in the United States who were asking questions about the kids in our school um, who maybe just joined us a few months ago um, from El Salvador or um, from Mexico and kind of questioning like what's going to happen to them yeah. and out of a real place of concern. And what what do people at the school say about that? Well, you know, we've we've really tried to emphasize this from an emotional standpoint, of course, uh, letting you know you matter, you're cared about, your voice is heard, but also from an academic uh, standpoint. We have three branches of government. Um, there are checks and balances. Uh, and Within this, though, there are still things that we can do as Americans to resist, uh, to resist decisions that we don't agree with. But it was confusing. It was very confusing for students, like I said, who haven't had government yet yeah. to try to, even though they live seven or even though they go to school 17 blocks from the Capitol, doesn't mean they necessarily understand um, what the legislative branch does and what they're responsible for, what the Supreme Court across the street does and what they're responsible for. It was hard as a teacher because a lot of those fears are in my head too. And like I said, I'm very little sleep. A lot of it was like, uh, guys, we're just going to have to, we're just going to have to wait and see and be ready to speak up if we need to. Yeah. And do you see an activist reaction at your school? I mean, yes. do you think these, these young Af- African-American kids who are, who are so directly targeted and threatened by the, the results of this election are going to participate in politics in a way maybe they didn't before? Yeah. I, I really do. I really do. Um, I remember asking my kids, like, raise your hand if you are 16 right now. Mm. And with 10th grade, you know, some of them are 16, some of them are 15. And it was like, you guys can vote in the midterm election if you don't like the way things are going um, with Congress and quick M dash of what right. they are and what they do. Right. Uh, 
you can change that. Right. Um, and Except you that all, in Washington, D.C., your rep- representative <laughs> yeah, right, doesn't have a right. vote. So please move to Virginia yeah, or right. Maryland or please go to college, you know, ideally in a swing state. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in fact, you're um, not actually represented, but you could be if you move somewhere else. Yes, yeah. and that was that was also a really interesting conversation to have with students in D.C., um, although, you know, the – Proposition to bring statehood, uh, you know, was on the to Congress was on the ballot. It didn't get as much attention in our classrooms as Trump did. But yeah, having these conversations and all of you, regardless if you're 15 or 16, you'll all be old enough to vote in the next election. Yeah. And what else can you do other than voting? And I had a really, I have a student who's a fantastic young man. He is so, so gifted and special, and I cannot wait until he finishes high school because the world just needs to hear his voice. And he said something to me at the end of the day, we were just the two of us talking and he said something about like, I think this is helping me see the point of school a little more. I thought that was really powerful. Kate, what were some of the other questions? Uh, I have students who are, they're at a young, you know, they're 15 and they're openly out. They're openly gay or they're openly lesbian. And there were a lot of concerns about about gay marriage and what's going to happen with that, uh, which is a very real concern and uh, also just about just rights as gay people or the fact that our, our homophobic or racist people now going to be more vocal uh, in our country. And I had uh, four periods of students that day and every single time that came up. Yeah. yeah. What do you think might have been different if this was a racially mixed classroom? I think it, whether if it was more racially diverse or you know whether I taught in middle America, I think that I definitely would have had the experience that a lot of other teachers had, and that was a divided classroom, much much like our country. Uh, I didn't have I didn't have to break up any verbal disputes between a kid who would have voted for Trump had he been of a, a voting age and a kid who would have voted for Clinton had he been a voting age. I didn't have that. This was. Uh, everyone on the same page that this was a disappointment. Yeah. Every kid I saw was either shocked in a, in a not pleasant way, disappointed or angry, uh, jumping right to that. Do you have teacher friends who teach in the suburbs or elsewhere who did have classrooms with yeah. a lot of white kids whose families supported Trump? Yeah. And I think it was, it was an incredibly difficult day and it was a day where um, they felt much more of a need to frankly censor themselves and choose their words carefully, which I think made it made it a little rougher. Whereas I think my colleagues and I, those of us who who didn't want Trump to win, we got to be a lot more just raw with our kids, and we got to have a lot more a bit more of an emotional day. It's funny because the resources that were coming out, like nothing came out for teachers that morning. It felt like it felt like the whole country was like, what? Um, <laughs> and you're on your own. <laughs> Um, I, it's now I get them. And, um, I felt like on Thursday morning, I got them, whether it was, um, or Wednesday night, I got them, whether it was, you know, various like, uh, teacher publications we subscribe to or, you know, an internet service we use with our students, but it was kind of radio silence that morning. And I, I did, teachers are savvy. Teachers are smart. They know their students, you know, teachers, you know, should be trusted with their own classrooms and what to do, but a little Resources for <laughs> teachers in those really divided places probably would have been helpful. Yeah. And I felt like what, you know, some of those, some of those outlets, much like the rest of the country, just kind of thought, I'm really tired. I need to go to bed. <laughs> teachers will send it out. We'll send it out. I don't know. 
three thirty on Wednesday. How's that sound? Yeah. What else, what else did you hear from anybody? Maybe just in passing from other teachers. I mean, what were the other things that stand out to you when you were when you remember back what these couple days were like? <laughs> I think I'm going to remember really raw and meaningful conversations between black and white colleagues. I think I'm going to also think about how how I was scared to go to work. The next day, I remember watching the returns sitting on the couch actually with other teachers yeah. and us thinking like, oh my gosh, what do we say to the kids tomorrow? What do yeah. we do? And being scared to go to work, but then getting there and it feeling so good to be with the kids and to have us all together. And the classroom is a, as the classroom is a very safe space to talk about these things and I have one of the few jobs where hugs are a part of my every day. Yeah. I teach high school and I I have hugs every single day from kids. And that was also really powerful. It's always the better. The morning after. It's always better when you talk about it, right? When there's a community that's constituted, mm-hmm. what you want is to be a part of that community and mm-hmm. to deal with it in that context. Yeah. 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 I've been speaking to Kate Gaskell. She teaches history at Eastern Senior High School in Washington, D.C. Kate, thanks for joining me. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. I'm Jacob Weisberg. We'll be back next week with more Trumpcast. <laughs>